Hi everyone, I'm Mike Novogratz and this is Next with Nova. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Mike Novogratz, next with Novo, and I've got Eddie Alvarez. He is a UFC champion, a Bellator champion, a one-fighting league champion, a champion in spirit and heart. Eddie, welcome aboard. Thanks for having me, Mike. I um I watch you quite often on CNBC and, uh, and Squawk Box and see, see your interviews. So for me, like, uh, I, 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 fought, I fight, of course, but... Um, I, I'm deep into finances, real estate, stocks, and I feel like I'm I'm doing a, a podcast of Michael Jordan right now. So, um. <laughs> well, well, thank you. Uh, never been called Michael Jordan before, so it's a great compliment. Uh, talk about where were you born? How'd you grow up? I grew up in Kensington, which is like sort of a, a, it's an elephant graveyard of uh, of of PA or or of even of Philadelphia. Um, I grew up uh, humble beginnings. My neighborhood was kind of ridden with with, dr- with drugs, but my my parents were able to kind of put me into a Catholic school, and I think that's what court sort of set me apart from not being becoming a product of my of my environment and being able to kind of see something outside of where I lived and strive strive for something more. And thank you, by the way, because I, I read recently that um you were the one who be, begun beat the streets and in philadelphia that is that it's like monumental beat the streets like it's a it's a huge deal and it's how a lot of kids like me growing up kind of be were able to kind of you, you guys funded a lot of things for us to be able to move in a way that we wouldn't be able to otherwise yeah you know actually one of the one of the proudest things that you know we started beat the streets in new york and then these guys brett motter and uh his brother, Clint Motter, who were both awesome wrestlers, Ed McBride, they came and they said, we're going to do this in Philadelphia. And so they get the credit there. They built a great program in Philly. I, I'd go to their, their benefit and cheer them on. And, you know, we all shared the name and shared the ethos of how do you help kids get out of, you know, get a purpose and, you know, beat the streets, literally. Uh, learn the discipline from wrestling, learn leadership from wrestling. And so... Uh, I'm thrilled that you know the program. Those guys crushed it, and they continue to crush it. And so, yeah, that that was sort of like how I began. Bill Hunter was my first wrestling coach, and he started kind of the PAL program, Police Athletic League. Yep. I played basketball, but I was five foot nothing. And uh, when I got to high school, he goes, "Our basketball team sucks, and you're five foot nothing, so you're going to wrestle." So, um, <laughs> so I, I I said, "Okay, I'll wrestle." And uh, that that put me on the path and put me in a re- in a very competitive wrestling room, a very competitive environment. Everybody I wrestled with is my is my first year, my freshman year. But everybody I wrestled with wrestled for pal their whole life. So I, I pretty much got my ass kicked my whole first year. And um, you know, it's like the environment grows the organism type thing. I just turned I turned into a different animal just being around the guys every day and. Uh, diving into that culture of wrestling, you know, talk about wrestling at national preps. Cause that's, you know, you go to Lehigh, that's, that's a big deal. Yeah. So that, that was kind of the Mecca. We didn't, we didn't go to PA States and PA States is normally some of the toughest tournament, one of the toughest tournaments in the whole country. And, um, so our little school, North Catholic, um, from, from Kensington in, a, in the inner city of Philadelphia, um, we found our way to the national preps and, um, 
we're going up against powerhouses like Blair Academy, um, some of the, the best schools in the whole country. And um, we fought we fought like hell, man. We were we were the guys who like we we came in the tournament and they're like we weren't technical, but we were tough as hell. And you probably wouldn't want to be on a mat with us because we hate we hated losing. So we're like we were city kids who didn't have the same resources as the the suburban kids and, or, or the, the the schooling or teaching, but we were tough as hell and we were competitive and we didn't want to lose. So um, we did we did we did well. I, I took I took sixth. As a, as a freshman year starting wrestling, I took sixth at nationals my junior year, and then I took sixth again because my bracket was like crazy deep my, my my senior year. What was the transition? Did, did you, you go right from high school? Did you go to college? Or did you uh, pivot right to fighting? So I didn't. Um, nobody in my school ever went to college. Nobody in my family ever went to college. So that college wasn't like something that was pushed real big for my parents and um my parents moved away to florida when i was 18 like as soon as i got out of high school my parents pretty much moved i split the bills with my with my brother and my sister and we lived in we lived in kensington we just split the bills up and i uh i, I was doing concrete work i started doing uh concrete work every day construction and yeah. uh at that point I, I i met my wife already i met my wife when i was 15 we had our first kid when we were twenty. When I was twenty years old, I was doing a concrete job, and um, right a little bit before that, around nineteen, I decided I wanted to try my first fight. And uh, for me, it was like I had no I had no options. It was either you're gonna live a life, and this is how you're gonna supply your family. Uh, you're gonna do concrete work. You're gonna come home, and you're gonna repeat this cycle for the rest of your life or you're going to take a shot at something. So um, I needed to make fighting work. I needed to win. The, don't get me wrong. I was scared to death, Mike. I, like, I, I remember around 18 years old, I wrote letters to my, to my wife today, writing her letters saying, I'm so confused. I'm scared. I don't know what to do. Like, I was so nervous about being average or, or being just the guy who did concrete work. That fear moved me in a way that, like, that... I would never have the energy today to, when I look back, to to perform the same days that I was doing back then. I'm like, I don't know how I found the energy, but emotionally, I, I think I was so afraid that I never stopped moving. I, I was, I was, I was waking up and I was concrete work to training, to training again, to concrete work, and I, I lived like that for four or five years. Wow. And until I was able to put concrete work down. And just focus on training. So, and what did you get good? At, what did you get good at fighting? Um, so I was I, I fist fought. I got a, in a lot of fights on the street. I was an eighteen year old kid who I, I paid my own bills. No one could tell me what to do. I, I'd go out. My my brother gave me his his ID, so I'd be able to get in bars. Yeah. And I, and uh, I got I got in trouble just like anybody in Philadelphia would. Um, went out. Yep as an 18 year old and I would get in my fair share of fights. And before I decided I wanted, I need to try this professionally, sort of make some money. I did enough free ones. So, um, sort of try to make some money off it. And, uh, I had my first fight at 19. I knocked the guy out and I went on a, I went on a crazy streak. I knocked out like my first nine guys in a row. Wow. The city of Philadelphia showed up to every show and, uh, I was starting to make, 
roughly like a rocky 20, like a rocky story almost almost exactly and and where i grew up is where rocky was filmed kensington awesome and uh so the money started to pile in promoters started to see i was bringing bigger crowds long larger crowds so promoters wanted me on their card and by the time i was like 22 23 i was making like 20 or 30 thousand dollars a fight so um I remember I was able to I was able to put concrete aside and just focus on fighting. Nice, and you and and UFC. What, did you, what what league did you start in Bellator? Yeah, I first I I think my first big league was uh, Bowdog, and that was owned by a billionaire named Calvin Air. We flew out to Costa Rica. He overpaid everyone, so we were living like kings. A lot of up and coming fighters were living like kings. And um, it was because of Calvin starting that, that Bodog. I became champion of Bodog. I flew over to Japan. I became, I beat all their best guys. And that's when uh, Bellator signed. So then you came back. You flew, you f- fought in Singapore, but that was at the end of your career. When did you come into the UFC? Were you Bellator first, then UFC? Yeah, I, I became the champion of Bellator. I went through like a, rough patch a lawsuit with bellator they they didn't they didn't want me to leave but i wanted to leave and i wanted to win the ufc world title so i had to sit for a little bit but then ufc ended up signing me and um i got to go to the ufc back in like i want to say like 2015 2014-ish and yep. um quickly i rose up and i became the champion of the ufc I, I felt like I manifested that. Like I, I thought about it enough and I, and I dwelled on it enough and obsessed about it enough. And then at 30 years old, boom, I, I, they're putting this belt around my waist. I'm like, no way. It was like, it was a little bit freaky. Yeah. To, um, to see it. Yeah. That's the, that's the UFC one. And these are the Bellator ones. But I, I, I sincerely, I sincerely felt like, um, I, I don't. I never felt like I was the best fighter per se in the world, or technically, or anything like that. I just knew that I wasn't absolutely wasn't gonna quit until that happened. So, and I still didn't quit, but I knew that that was gonna be something I got, and nothing was gonna stop me from doing it. So, um, I was able to. I was able to get the UFC world title. Who was the Who was the toughest guy you ever fought? Who you you didn't want to fight him again? Well, the toughest guy I ever fought, I, I, I did fight again. Um, <laughs> uh, I fought it. I, I believe I had real hard fought matches with a guy named Mike Chandler from Missouri. Um, he he came through the NCAAs. You, you may know of him. He uh, wrestled with Ben Askren and Tyrone Woodley and these guys. Yep. But uh, he ended up becoming Bellator world champion. He beat me for my world title. And then... I fought him again. I beat him back for it. And me and him, nice. our fights were like blood and guts. We fought, shared 50 minutes in the cage together. It was like neither one of us wanted to lose a minute of that fight. So we were like mirror mirror images of each other with the same kind of spirit, heart, will, body frame. It was like fighting myself. So, um, yeah, what... Is it enjoyable? No, but when when it's over, you're like, wow, I'm really proud I got through that. Do do I want to do it again? Probably not. 
Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it was funny. I once asked. I once asked uh, Floyd Mayweather uh, what sport he wanted his kid to play, and he looked at me like I was crazy, and he said, "Real estate." <laughs> he said, "I don't want my kid to get beat up, you know, punched like I got punched." <laughs> and and you know what? Um, I'm I'm the, I'm the same exact way, and people would be surprised at my answer, but when you when you're in combat sports at the highest level, like like either boxing or MMA, you've seen some you've seen more terrible stories than good stories, and you don't share them because you don't want to talk about it because it, it could be your reality, right? That that very well, that bad story could be your reality at any point. So it's something we, we shove under the rug and we keep our faith and our hope and our belief that that we're just going to continue to excel. Talk about the Madison Square Garden. I only saw you fight once, to be honest. Uh, it was Madison Square Garden. Uh, it didn't end well for you. <laughs> it did not end well for you. But it was an exciting night. No, not my night, man. Um, the, you know, that I've done so many great things before that night. And it was like, it kind of sucks because that's the way the sport is. Like, you can't lose greatly until you win greatly, right? So it's like, yeah, they both go hand in hand. Like, I can't take a terrible loss on a high level unless I've done some pretty great things um, to get there. So, um, that the that Madison Square Garden was a great experience. Like the fight week, the build up, it uh, arguably was one of my largest paydays, and I, I finally was able to make a couple million dollars for for one fight. So that there's a lot of good things that that happened, but the fight itself I would have liked to do over. Um, and I and I try to make sense of like why I couldn't compete at my highest level there, and. All I came up with was like, hey, man, you you fucking fist fight for a living. It's volatile. It's, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, and if you do it enough, some nights you'll have bad nights and some nights will be yours. Are there any fighters that you just love? Like you love them as people. You love them as competitors. You love watching them. Like a couple of your of the last 15 year era of the USC. Who are your heroes outside of you? Um, George St. Pierre, of course, has always been like a staple of this sport and someone that people would want to emulate. He's, uh, he's a consummate, like martial artist, humble, hardworking, strives for excellence and always like innovating, always not afraid to go out on a limb to try to innovate and do something new. And he's been a guy who's done that, who's transcended the sport. And um, has done that over and over. So, like, I always looked up to George growing up and uh, wanted wanted to emulate him. I studied his film over and over. So he he's definitely one of them. As far as excitement, like a guy I have to tune into um, is is Justin Gaethje. Um, I I fought I fought him. They call him the highlight. Uh, me and him were in fight of the year in 2018, and he's a guy like. I wish that I could approach a fight with the same attitude that he approaches it. Cause he literally doesn't care about his own well-being, And it, it's, it's very difficult to um, get to that point mentally to just say F it and go forward. And um, he does that. And it's, 
to watch that on TV, it's like everybody watching wishes that they could be like that. <laughs> and this guy yeah. is truly like that. And it's um, it's fun to watch. He's one of my funnest fighters to watch. I'm a, you know, because of wrestling, I, you know, and I was associated with helping with the Olympic team, Henry Cejudo and Cormier are my guys. I love both of those guys. Uh, I think Cejudo is one of the most underrated guys. I mean, he's just such an athlete. Uh, you know, when you're in the really lightweights, you don't get as much credit, but uh, I hope he comes back, wins one more title, and then... Yeah, he's already yeah. vying for a title shot, and you know, when you're a competitor, you know, you even you, you're still finding a way to compete, right? You're competing with money, but you're still... Well, no, I... I every, Every time I, I wrestle or fight these days, I break something. I broke this finger. I broke my rib. I broke my tooth. You know? <laughs> but I still wrestle. Not well, but I still wrestle. Who helped you figure out how to manage your money? Did you do it on your own or did you have a manager or was it a mentor? Because I find a lot of athletes and a lot of artists, you know, they're surrounded by people they grew up with and they don't have necessarily easy access to great financial advice. Yeah, so Mike, I started reading uh, real estate books when I was like 20 years old. I was fascinated by real estate, by finances. So like I, I probably read over 100, 200 financial books and, and real estate books that I wanted to get to a point where I'm now where I had the money to apply all the things I was learning about. I'm in the position now where I get large lumps of money from fighting and I'm able to, to do all the things I learned. Um, so as far as real estate, that was self-taught pretty much. And with stocks, I was, I was training in Boca Raton for a number of years. And there was an older fellow in there named Andy Sankin who um, trained inside of our gym. Andy worked for a fund. He helped raise money uh, for it. And he worked for a pretty large fund. And uh, he left the fund and started trading his own money. And he used to tell the fighters, if you guys ever want to learn how to invest or whatever, um, you're more than welcome to come because he, he was a fan of the sport. Well, I went there every morning with coffee. Wow. And I sat in that, I sat in that seat and some mornings they would say nothing to me. They would trade and, and do what they were doing. And I sat and then on slow days, they would turn around and say, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. Um, they would give me their thesis on what they're buying and when they're selling it. And, uh, I just listened and listened. I still talk to them to this day. He's a mentor of mine and helped me kind of move into the stock world. And, um, from stocks, I like to have a line, a lot of lines in the water. So a small portion of my portfolio, I went and got into Bitcoin. What about Bitcoin? What, what, what is, um, so I went and bought one at 9,800 bucks on, 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 uh, after I kept hearing Ben about it, everyone told me I'm stupid cause I was buying it at the high. I got ridiculed. It made a bunch of uh, Bitcoin headlines. And I got, I said, guys, I, I treat it just the way I treat stocks. I got buy them. I sit on it and I, and I, the idea is to accumulate and let time do its, do its job. Yeah. I don't think they understand. I think they thought I was just trying to buy it to make a quick buck. But, um, what, you know, what I think you I give think, me on Bitcoin and should I buy more? Yeah, I think I think with crypto, which is really, really interesting is every once in a while in markets and it doesn't happen often, you have something called a paradigm shift where the whole world resets. And 
even when you bought it at 9,800, Bitcoin was becoming a thing, but it wasn't a thing. You know, it wasn't a thing for JP Morgan or Morgan Stanley or UBS or the big institutions, but it was close. And in the last five months, it's become an asset class. And so now they're all coming into it. And so there's an adoption cycle going on with more and more people entering the, the ecosystem. To me, it feels like it's going to keep propelling prices up. And so I think it's one of the few investments I'd say, you know what, buy a little more. Uh, don't look at it too often. It's going to go higher. It's going to go higher next year and higher the year after that. Um, it's an accumulating investment where I don't normally say that about things. Listen, if you get an amazing company that continues to grow and can continue to, to grow its market, right? We, we talk about TAM, total addressable market. Like how many people can I sell shoes to? How many, like what's your, how big is the market for your thing? Bitcoin is a gigantic market because it's everyone on the planet. Um, and so other times if, you know, there's a, like I invested in uh, psilocybin, right? Magic mushrooms to cure depression and had this amazing run. And I was thinking about it yesterday. There's nothing really in the next year that's going to give it more momentum. And so it probably just chops around sideways for a year. And so if you want, you could take your money off the table and wait for later. You know, it's, it's, I think it'll have another run in a year or so. Uh, but Bitcoin is different. I think it's just going to keep grinding. It's going to go up, come down a little, go up, go down a little, but it's going to end up the year much higher and then the, the following year much higher. And so when it gets to 500,000, we can talk. Yeah, I got, I got excited when I, like every day I see another fund gets involved and that's what, that's when you get the real movement. Like, yeah. The everyday investor like myself or whatever buys one, got people buy them here. But when, when the funds that the amount of money that's, you know, when you hear another fund, another fund, another large, I'm like, wow, man, it, this is becoming like a, like you said, a staple where people are going to ask their fund, Hey, do you own Bitcoin? And if they say no, they're going to be like, why don't you own any? So it's like, uh, that's exactly right. It, it, it went, you went from being a weirdo to buy it to a weirdo not to own it. Uh, and that's, that's a big shift. What do you want to do? Like, what's the big dream? You've accomplished a lot of them, right? You got one almost every world title, but you're only 37. I want to be you, Mike. I'm looking at my dream right now. I, I want to <laughs> say, I want to, I want to continue to invest. I want to do real estate at a higher level. I just, I just bought my first commercial like bar restaurant, like a commercial property last year. And that's doing, that's doing really well for me. So I'd love to get deeper into commercial real estate. Um, and that I, I actually would love to be a full-time investor and it I'm excited about it. I, um, I, I approach investing the same way I do fighting. It's I am competitive about it. I like to win and, um, it, it's fun. I, the more I learn about it, the more excited I get your first restaurant. That's gotta be fun. Tell me about that. Yeah. So, um, I'm, I'm more, I'm more on the lines of the real estate. So I bought the building. But I had some I have some really good operators who were friends of mine. We've done real estate deals in the past. And they came to me after a fight and said, Ed, we want to do one right here. It's a perfect location. Um, it's right on Second Street Pike. Um, and it's called this is it right here. It's called the Mod House. And it's in Rockledge, PA. 
They serve number one Philly cheesesteak, which is a, a new twist on a Philly cheesesteak. It's shaved kibasi with melted American cheese, and it got voted the number one Philly cheesesteak. So um, really good spot, awesome atmosphere, and um, really good beers. Well, listen, it's been awesome having you on. Uh, really enjoyed it. You guys can reach me on Twitter and um, Instagram, at E. Alvarez Fight. All right, guys, this was Mike Novogratz, Eddie Alvarez, next with Novo. Thanks so much, Eddie. Thank you, Mike.